This morning for our text, we'll continue in the book of Acts. We will look at Acts chapter 1 and we'll read verses 6 through 9. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. With the Lord's help, this morning we'll continue in our doctrinal series of messages. We'll look at the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. We can see right away in these few scriptures here, we see the purpose and the importance of this experience. As you read that portion of text there, you realize that this was the very last promise and the last commandment that Jesus left his disciples before he ascended into heaven. If you were going to leave somebody with parting words, you would want it to be something of utmost importance, something you would want them to respond to and act upon. So certainly we see Jesus here uh, leaving him with this commandment. It's interesting that the last recorded prayer that Jesus made for his disciples before his crucifixion was that they might be sanctified. You read about that in John 17, where he prayed that they would be one and sanctified through the truth. He said he wasn't praying for those that were in the world, but those who had been given out of the world. So we saw that he prayed that they might be sanctified. But we see after his resurrection and right before his ascension, he left them the promise of the Holy Spirit. So we can see its importance, certainly. We can see who it is for. The Lord said this was for his disciples, those that had been saved and sanctified holy. There are those that say this experience isn't for the church today. They will say that this was only to establish the early church, but there's no scriptural foundation for that at all. As a matter of fact, uh, just the opposite is true. In Acts 2, 39, it says that this blessing or this gift is to you, to your children, and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So we realize this is a gift that's promised to every sanctified believer. This is a commandment. This is not an option or a suggestion. Again, Acts 1.4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. So we see it was a commandment that he left his disciples and he expected them to follow through on that commandment. We also see that it is a promise. Again, he mentioned it was the promise of the Father, and the Word of God also lets us know that this experience is a gift. Luke chapter eleven thirteen, 13, 
Jesus speaking to earthly fathers, he said, if you know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? So we can see it's a commandment, a promise, and a gift. We want to consider what the baptism of the Holy Ghost is and what it is not. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about speaking in tongues. Jesus didn't command his disciples to tarry and wait until they received tongues. That wasn't the promise they were waiting for or what they were told to tarry for. We know the Word of God tells us that is nothing more than the scriptural evidence of having received that experience. So we know it is a sign or the evidence of having been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but it's not about speaking in tongues. You know, it's like, like I said, it's the scriptural evidence that that experience has been received. It's the evidence, not the purpose. Acts 2 forces, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, tongues can be deceptive. Tongues are the evidence, but it's certainly not the proof that a person has been filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people who claim to speak in tongues, some who would claim to have the gift of tongues. I met a man just a while ago, a few months ago, when we got to talking, and he was in an adulterous relationship, realized that he was, and said it really used to bother him, but he prayed about it, and the Lord told him it was okay, and now he prays in tongues every morning. You know what? It doesn't matter how much that man may pray in tongues. The Holy Spirit will never dwell in an unclean or an unholy vessel. So we know tongues aren't always proof. It is a sign. We know the Word of God tells us that the Spirit and the Word will always agree one with the other. So we know, again, the Holy Spirit will not fill an unclean or an unholy vessel. The Spirit and the Word We'll always agree the Word of God will either validate or invalidate a person's experience, but the Spirit of the Lord will not contradict the Word of God in any way. We know the Holy Spirit is not a worked-up emotion. Now, there will be emotion when a person is filled with the Spirit of the Lord, when that third person of the Trinity comes in and takes control of a person. Certainly there will be some praising and some thanksgiving Some may even lift their hands to praise the Lord, but that will be controlled by the Holy Spirit. But we don't receive it through emotion or by working something up. You know, something that's worked up comes from below. Something that's prayed down comes from above. That is how those in that upper room that day received the Holy Spirit. You can't improve on the biblical examples that we've been given. They prayed and they sought the Lord and in faith and consecration They prayed that spirit down. And again, they spoke in tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit isn't something that's taught. There are churches that will tell you, they'll hold seminars on how to receive the Holy Spirit. You don't see these disciples taking classes on how to receive this experience. They'll tell you you can learn a certain phrase or repeat something over and over, and then pretty soon you're speaking in some kind of language. That's not how it happens. 
This experience is not taught. It is given by the Holy Ghost. You know, again, the gift isn't in the tongues. It is in the infilling of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. That is the gift to have that third person of the Trinity You know, when we're saved and sanctified, it's a wonderful experience, and the Spirit of the Lord walks along beside us. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, His Spirit takes up residence within us, and it's a wonderful experience. It's something that every sanctified individual should seek for and tarry until they receive it. Some people will get distracted by the evidence. I know a lot of people who are focused on the tongues, but I'll tell you, you don't need to worry about the evidence. When the Lord fills you with His Spirit, the evidence will be there. What you need to do is focus in on drawing close to the Lord, on receiving the promise that the Lord has given you. A minister once said, you know, when you buy a pair of shoes, you don't wonder if it comes with tongues. The tongues are automatic. It's the same thing with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Lord will provide the evidence, but we want to Focus in on the promise. We want to exercise that faith and receive everything that the Lord has promised us. And again, we know speaking in tongues, that is uniform and consistent among all spirit-filled Christians in every culture and every language. But it is the evidence, certainly not the gift. One thing we can know for sure, when the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in a person, it will be in a manner which will absolutely glorify the Lord. won't draw any attention to that individual when he fills us with his Spirit. We will glorify him, and the presence of the Holy Spirit will be unmistakable. You know, it isn't some fanatical fleshly manifestation. It isn't wildfire. It's nothing to be feared. I tell you, when the Spirit of the Lord comes down and fills an empty vessel, it is a beautiful experience. It's a wonderful experience. It will glorify the Lord. It will encourage those others around. So we want to make sure that we understand these things. We know that really the main purpose for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is power for service. That's what Jesus promised his disciples. He said, tarry until you are endued with power from on high. I've seen the power of the Holy Spirit transform people's lives. We probably know people personally who were changed after they received that experience. I think of one brother who's a retired pastor now, and he's still active in the ministry, but he told about when he was young and even after he was saved and sanctified as a young person, he said he was so bashful that if somebody called on him in a Sunday school class to even answer a question, he says his big old tears would well up in his eyes and his voice would get all shaky. He could hardly even answer a question, but after the Lord filled him with the Holy Spirit, that all changed. The man is still proclaiming the gospel today. I think one of the biggest changes or transformation is in the life of Peter. And we know quite a bit about Peter. We can get a kind of a before and after picture of Peter. We see Peter before Pentecost and after Pentecost. We know that Peter was one of the Lord's earliest disciples, one of the first original 12 that the Lord called and You know, Peter had good intentions. Often he uh, would 
seemed to be the one following the Lord the closest. We know when Jesus predicted his death, Peter even made a very bold statement. He said, even though every other man denies you, Lord, I won't deny you. And I think Peter meant it in his heart. His intentions were good. But we know after things begin to go south and we see Peter says that he, as they came to lead Christ away to be crucified, it says that the disciples scattered and Peter began to follow at a distance. And just a short time later, as Peter was confronted by a maid, he couldn't even stand up to that maid and he denied Christ. And we know two other times in just the space of a few hours, Peter ended up denying Jesus, the very one he promised to die for, ended up denying him three times. The third time he said he even denied him with an oath. What happened? Peter's good intentions, his own personal fortitude weren't enough to help him to stand. But of course, we know Peter, it says he wept bitterly and he prayed his way back uh, through repentance. You know, later Peter was sanctified and among those that were in that upper room praying in one accord and in one place. And we see as the Holy Spirit fell, we see a different Peter emerge from that upper room. We know on that day of Pentecost, it said there were many there that were uh, gathered together and they accused, they said some were in doubt, some were amazed, some accused these men of being drunk, all kinds of accusations. But in the midst of that, it says Peter stood up and he began to proclaim the gospel, began to preach the very Christ that just a short time later he had denied. He reminded these men that this very Jesus who they crucified was, in fact, the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He told them what they were witnessing was that power, that promise of the Holy Ghost is prophesied by Joel. And you know what? Peter, as he preached to them under the power of the Holy Ghost, he got some results. We looked there, and Peter, chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. It says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. Peter's first sermon. Not bad results for a guy's first sermon. But you know, Peter had nothing to do with it. Peter simply provided the vessel and the mouthpiece and allowed the Lord to fill him. And Peter, under inspiration and power of the Holy Ghost, that is what achieved those results. It wasn't the length of the sermon or how well he presented it. It was because it was powered by the Holy Spirit. That's that Pentecostal power. All of us need that same power in our lives to be effective witnesses for Christ. We must have that power. I thought of another testimony. I'll just read an excerpt here. This is by Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody. He was one of the greatest evangelists in the early 1900s. And he said he remembered one time in his services, two holy women of God began to show up in the services. And 
He said as he would preach, he could tell by the expression on their faces that they were praying for him. And at the close of an evening Sunday service, they came and they told him they were praying for him. So he asked them, why don't you pray for the people? And they said, you need power. And of course, he was a little taken about back by that. He thought, I need power. He thought he had plenty of power. He had the largest congregation in Chicago. He had a large Sunday school. He says there were some conversions at the time. He said in a sense he was satisfied, but it began to convict him, and he began to think about what these women told him, and he said he asked them to come and talk with him. So one day they came to talk to him. They said they got down on their knees, and he says they began to pray together, and these women began to pour out their hearts for this man, that he would receive that power and that anointing on his preaching. He said, uh, I didn't know what it was. They prayed that I might receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but he said there came such a great hunger in my soul. He said, I thought I'd rather die than be without this experience. And he continued to pray. He said all he could do all the time was pray that the Lord would fill him with the Holy Spirit. He says, well, one day in the city of New York, he says, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. But he said, on that day, God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love and power that I asked him to stay his hand. The Lord came down and filled him with the Holy Spirit. He said, I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I didn't preach anything new, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you gave me all of Glasgow. He said, it would be as small as the dust in the balance. We need the filling always. If we're filled with the Spirit, there will be no room for Satan or self. If we are filled with the Spirit and full of power, one day's work is better than a year's without. He experienced the power of the Holy Ghost in his life. That's the same Pentecostal power that the Lord says we must have. We know the Spirit of the Lord also tells us that He will be a guide. It says that the Spirit of the Lord will guide us into all truth. You know, if you read in Second Timothy, you read a description of the times that we're living in. Second Timothy 3, it talks about those in the last days and in perilous times, they would have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. There would be those that would ever be learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So there would be those that would heap to themselves together. Teachers having itching ears that would turn from the truth unto a fable. We see all of this all around us. You know, more than ever, we need that power of discernment in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit as a guide to guide us into all truth. I don't think I need to remind you, we live in the midst of a cancel culture. You know, the Word of God and Christians are consistently now being vilified. You have principles and commandments in God's Word that are under attack. You have people telling us now that lifestyles that are an abomination of the Lord are now normal and acceptable, and if we speak out against it, somehow we're haters and all of these other things. We need the power of God to stand up against the onslaughts of the devil. You know, I just heard of a high-ranking official in Congress quoted as saying, God's will is of no concern to this Congress. That was just recently. 
Word of God talks about it. There'll be spiritual wickedness in high places. God help us. We need the power like never before to stand up against the evil that seems to be pervading our society. We have uh, people trying to pass legislation now that will turn Christians into criminals just for speaking out for the truth. God help us. We need that boldness. We need that discernment, that determination that we're going to stand for the Lord. You know, the Word of God tells us when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against them. That Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord, that Holy Spirit. God help us like never before. We need that power in our lives to push back against this tide of evil. You know, the Word of God tells us He'll be a comforter. John 14 says that the Father would send the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. That word comfort means to give strength and hope, to cheer, to ease the grief or trouble of, to console, to assist, and to support. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It acts as our Comforter. Again, I thought of the example of Peter. You read in Acts 12, it says that Herod put James, the brother of Jesus, to death, and he saw that it pleased the Jews. He decided to imprison Peter and execute Peter also. But you know, the night before Peter's execution, the church had a prayer meeting. And you read that account in Acts 12. We won't take the time to read it, but it says that the angel of the Lord came there and a light shone in in that prison cell. And where did he find Peter? It says Peter was sound asleep, chained between Two guards, he was sleeping so soundly, it says that the angel had to smite him on the side to wake him up. This doesn't look like a man who was in distress. It doesn't look like a man who was fearing for his life. This was the same Peter who just uh, before Pentecost denied Jesus in front of a maid. Now we see Peter facing his execution, yet resting in the peace and the power of the Holy Ghost. Of course, we know the Lord brought him out of that prison, and Peter made his way to that house and Uh, The Lord delivered him, but I thought, you know, even in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficult circumstances and uncertainties, even when our lives are hanging in the balance, the Holy Spirit can be a comfort to us. It also says that the Lord will lead and guide. He'll comfort and empower. He'll enable us and strengthen us. These are all promises that the Holy Spirit will do for us as our comforter. You know, we live in the midst of a cancel culture. The disciples also lived in the middle of a cancel culture. Again, you read about the time when the disciples were out preaching Christ and they were beaten and imprisoned and threatened and told not to preach. And again, the angel of the Lord came and took those disciples out of prison and it said that they went right back to the temple and continued to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. Well, they were brought to the uh, magistrates and the leaders again, and they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Where did they get that boldness? They got it from the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what? The cancel culture couldn't cancel out the power of the Holy Ghost. It didn't work then, and it won't work now. But we need that same power that they had. You know, there are people, I've heard the arguments and the discussions, well, do you need your baptism for certain things. Maybe they feel like there's certain jobs that 
require it and maybe others where you don't need your baptism? Uh, do we need the baptism to make the rapture? I've heard people say, well, I know people without it that are doing more than those with it. You know what? Those arguments are pointless. We all need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God's Word said it. God commanded it. It was applicable for the early church. It's absolutely necessary for us today. You know, the disciples, they didn't feel like they could leave Jerusalem without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how we think we can leave without it. Stephen needed the baptism of the Holy Ghost to wait upon tables. And you know, Jesus himself said he needed to be baptized by the Father. We can read about that. Acts 10, verse 38. Acts 10, 38 tells us this. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needed that anointing, how much more do we need that anointing? We need that power. But you know, the good news is we can have that power. That power is available. The Lord has promised it, paid the price so we could receive it. We know that that gift is also purchased by Christ's blood. And he's promised it to each of us. You know, we also need to understand something. We know that it's a promise. We know it's a commandment and requirement and expectation. But the Holy Spirit is a gift. The Holy Ghost is a gift that God has promised every sanctified believer. You know, you don't have to beg or plead or negotiate with God to receive a gift that He's promised you. We must simply open our hearts and receive it through faith. You know, we have to pray. We have to get a hunger for that gift. But if we follow the example that those early disciples did in that upper room, the Lord will pour out that same Holy Spirit upon all of those that need it. You know, when you get a hunger, nothing can keep that experience back. I heard a testimony. One old brother, Brother Walter Cobb, said he was doing 18 years in Georgia prison for armed robbery and a bunch of crimes. And in that prison, he got saved and he got sanctified. And he said he got so hungry for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he would pray that the Lord would somehow fill him. He said one day out there behind the old, the warden, the prison warden, he had a little garden out there. And he said right behind that man's garden shack, while he was down on his knees digging in that dirt, he just poured out his heart to the Lord. The Holy Spirit came down, filled him right there in Georgia State Prison. <laughs> if the Lord could do that there, God can fill you here in this place tonight if you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can ask. The Lord encourages you to ask. If you need to be saved and sanctified, you can do that. But if you need that power, Jesus has promised. He promised to fulfill that in your life. You have to take it by faith. You know, all the consecrations that we make, I believe most of those are made at that point of sanctification. There may be some things the Lord may be requiring of you, but really... Uh, it's just a matter of faith, just praying and receiving that gift that the Lord has promised you. I, I thought of an illustration I read a few years ago. You know, you can take a bottle, and that bottle can be clean and empty, 
And if it has a stopper on it, you can hold that bottle under a tap. And you can hold it there for a long time. How long is it going to take for that bottle to get filled? Well, we know it won't. You know, that water can be running out all around it and on top of it and all around. But until that stopper is removed, that water can't get inside. It's, it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. You can be praying around the altars. The Lord could be coming down and blessing you. But you know, it's that faith that just reaches out and it, it removes that stopper, removes that uh, thing in the way. And if you open your heart to the Lord, the Lord will pour in a spirit. This morning, God can help you if you need that gift. It's available. Again, if you need to be saved and sanctified, the Lord will help you. But ask, ask and you shall receive. Oh, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him? You can be filled today. Leave this place overflowing with the joy of the Lord. Let's sing 596. These altars are open.